respond to the word of God with an emphasis in prayer, and we uh, strive to be a tangible presence of grace in our community and in our world. It, it was really great to, to watch our students take off this morning, students and leaders to CIY. Uh, they're going to be there all week. And, and again, I just want to invite you to remember to pray for them, uh, that God will work in them and through them uh, this week. Uh, I'm excited this morning to be kicking off our new series, a series in which we are going to be uh, looking at uh, this series that we've titled A Different Life. And to do that, we're going to be going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bible or open your Bible app or the PCC app or grab a blue Bible in front of you and turn to 1 Corinthians. Uh, If you're reaching for one of those blue Bibles, 1 Corinthians will be on or around page 806. 1 Corinthians is a fascinating letter that that Paul wrote. Uh, Parts of it are, are encouraging and parts of it are very challenging. But all of it is beneficial, especially as we look at it through the lens of living a different life. I want to give you just a little bit of background information on this letter as we begin uh, and on uh, the city to which and the church to which it was written. Uh, The city of Corinth, uh, hence Corinthians, Corinth, right? We've made that connection. Uh, It was a significant city in the ancient world. Rome, Athens, and Corinth were on par of what we would consider New York, London, and Paris of today. So that's the type of city it was. It had two thriving seaports, which brought in all the good and all the not so good from all over the world. It was rich, it was diverse, it was welcoming, it was generally known as a, as a city devoted to pleasure seeking. It was the center for Greek culture. It was a, a busy commercial city with this cosmopolitan atmosphere that brought people together from all parts of the world. Uh, it was also home of the worship to the goddess Aphrodite, as well as all these different types of worldviews. And, and as such, there was also a lot of corruption in Corinth. It was a, it was a complex city uh, of Corinth that existed there. And in this city, Paul invested 18 months establishing this church. And despite a huge amount of opposition, not only did Paul begin a church in Corinth, but God used Paul to start churches throughout the region as he went on his uh, missionary journeys. And after establishing the church in Corinth in his second of three missionary journeys, Paul went on to Ephesus. And so uh, you don't have to know exactly where that is, but he went to Ephesus after Corinth. And while he was there, he received these not so encouraging reports about what was happening in the church in Corinth that he had established. And since Paul couldn't just you know, jump in his car or jump on a plane and go back to Corinth and visit them, what he did instead was he would write letters. And this letter, these letters are what we have in our Bible, right? These are the letters that were written to the churches. And so what we find here is this letter we call 1 Corinthians is actually believed to be the second letter that Paul wrote to the church. The first letter Paul refers to in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is believed to have been lost. We're not exactly sure, but, but we know that Paul wrote them letters, right? And the reason Paul wrote these, these letters was not just to answer questions that people were asking of him, but to address the problems that were existing in the church and the problems that they were facing. He also wanted to encourage the believers there to remain faithful to what they had been taught, all while challenging them to live a life that was different than the world around them, to live a life for Christ. And we see Paul challenging them to live this different life uh, from the very beginning of this letter that he wrote. (laughs) 
And as we look at this today, uh, it's my prayer that, that as we strive to discover and experience the life-changing love uh, of Jesus, that you'll be challenged and you will be encouraged to take that next step in your faith, to that next step in your relationship with the Lord, to live a different life than you're currently living today. And in taking this step, in growing and, and living a different life, all of that is possible because of Jesus. Paul made this his focus throughout his, this letter that he wrote. His focus is on Jesus, Jesus' power, his superiority, and how his desire is for us to be brought together and to walk in relationship with him. So let's jump in. We're, we're gonna jump into this letter and, and we're gonna read uh, chapter one. And we're gonna, we're gonna do it a little bit like maybe they did it the first time they read the letter. So uh, a little bit of history. If you go back and think about this, what would happen? So the church would gather together, you know, like we're gathering together. Paul had written a letter, the church receives it, and what would they do? They would read the letter to the church, right? So if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, the letter of 1 Corinthians, it's long, right? Paul writes this long letter, it's 16 chapters. If you, you, know, if you have your Bible or your app, you just kind of keep going, it kind of keeps going. So what would you say if I said, okay, what we're gonna do today is we're just gonna read through the whole book? Some of you would be like, yeah. Some of you would be like, really? I can do that on my own. Well, will you, right? So that's the challenge is to read it on your own. Today, what we're gonna do is just not the whole thing. We're gonna read just the first chapter, okay? And to do that, I just want us to do this maybe a little more together. So I'm going to invite you to stand. And we're gonna, as you're willing and able, you don't have to, but I'm gonna invite you to. We're gonna stand. I'm gonna read through this, through the NIV, and I invite you to listen as we go through this together. Here's what it says, 1 Corinthians chapter one, beginning in verse one. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus, for in him you've been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God, thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, come, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What do I mean by this is one of you says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you could say you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. You gotta love Paul right there. I don't remember, right? Verse 17, he says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power, 
For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to, the, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for, look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us, wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. It is great to read scripture. It is fun for me to read that together. I hope that was beneficial for you. Let's pray, and then we'll continue through. Father God, I pray that as we explore this text this morning, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal your truth and your word and that our hearts and our minds would be opened to not only hear, but to believe your word and put it into action. Thank you, Father. Thank you for those that made it a priority to be here today. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm gonna invite you to be seated, and, and let's, let's jump into this text. There's a lot there, right? There's a lot to be covered in that. Uh, but we're, we're going to highlight three different themes. I just want to look at three different themes this morning. Uh, you might want to grab your sermon notes and write these down. You may not want to. That's entirely up to you, but here we go. The first theme is this. Uh, Paul talks about who we are in Christ. Uh, one of the interesting things about Paul's letters, and not just this one, but, but many of them, is how he lovingly addresses the people to whom he is writing, and that's because he knows these people. He's established these churches. It was obvious from the time that he invested personally as well as the letters that he wrote that he genuinely loved and cared for these people and for the church. As it says in, in verse four, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul highlights this grace that has been received from Jesus. In fact, in the first nine verses of this letter, Paul refers to Jesus nine times. That is his focus. It's clearly on Jesus and the free gift of grace that we can receive. Grace that says you are forgiven. Grace that is given so we can worship him. Grace that is given to us so that we can walk in relationship with him. And it's because of this grace, Paul makes these bullet points that I, that I wanna you know, go through again. He says that we are enriched in every way in verse five. We are, have this confirmation of Christ. We have spiritual gifts that are evident. We are eager for Christ, strong in faith, blameless, and we can walk in relationship with Jesus. And in all of these descriptions, Paul is reminding this church at Corinth who you are. He's reminding them who they are. 
He's reminding them that this is so important because what, what Paul needs to do here is to say, don't forget who you are because there's some things we need to look at. Don't forget who you are because there's some issues that we need to address. And he reminds them of not only his love for them, but God's love for them. And as I thought about that for us and what that means for us here in central New Jersey, I wondered what do we need to be reminded of here at PCC? Because while these things that, that Paul writes to the church at Corinth are true, right? And, and they can apply to us as well because of Jesus and his grace. What is it that we need to be reminded of here? And there are many things came to mind, but I kind of boiled it down into three different things that I just, just want us to be reminded of. The first one is this, that we are loved. Paul says it, and I just want to remind you, we are loved. Regardless of, of who you are or what you've done or where you're from, where you've been, your hurts, your habits, your hangups, your addictions, your personality types, Phillies fans and even Yankees fans, whatever, God loves you anyway, right? He loves us. His desire is to walk in relationship with us as we surrender our lives to him, to make him not only our savior, but our Lord as well. Never forget whatever you're going through, that you are loved. I think we also need to be reminded that Jesus is our focus. He's to be our focus in everything we do. It, it's our mission here at PCC to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ. And that's not something that we just try to say. It's what we strive to be all about. It, it's what informs what we do. And through supporting the ministries and, and inviting our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers to join us by, by giving financially, by using our gifts and our talents and our passions and, and investing our time to enhance the things that are going on around here, we want to draw people to Jesus. We want them to experience him because Jesus is our focus. And, and I think it's good to be reminded of that, that we're not here just to be here. We're here to focus on him. I think it's also important that we are reminded that, that you're not alone, that you're not alone. Often in my conversations with people, they share how busy they are, and because of how busy they are, they often feel isolated and they feel alone. And you don't have to raise your hand, but, but maybe that identifies you. But you don't have to be alone. The first part of our vision statement is that as we strive to take the life of Jesus as our pattern for living. We will prioritize being together. You, you prioritize being here today. You can prioritize investing with people. We, we strive to do this because we were not created to go through this life alone. Not only is God with us, but as a body of believers, we are striving to be here for each other as well. And no, we are not always gonna get it right and because we're not perfect, but we need to be told or reminded that we are not alone. Small groups, discipleship classes, Bible studies, sharing a meal, grabbing a cup of coffee, being here together, you are not alone. And if you feel alone, then just please look around. We don't always know what to do, but, but we want to. So help us walk through this life together. As Paul begins this letter here, uh, he wants these believers to know, and, and I think this includes us here today, that we as believers, we are in Christ, and because we are in Christ, we have hope, and we have life, and we are loved, and we are not alone. 
That's the first theme that we see here in this letter. The second theme is this. We see this call to unity. Uh, One of the things that Paul is addressing is this divide that was happening in the church in Corinth. It was divided into four different groups, and this was not healthy for the church, obviously. And this division centered around the different teachers in the church. You had Paul, who founded the church. He was with them for quite some time. He'd moved on. He was probably what we would consider the senior pastor of the church, right? And people claimed to follow him because he had started the church. And then there was Apollos, and he was known to be a gifted speaker with a sharp intellect, and he was able to share great reasons and arguments for being a believer of Jesus. We know from Luke's writing in Acts chapter 18, verse 28, that Apollos was a gifted speaker, and he was really good at providing a proof that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was kind of like what we would call an apologetics type speaker, right? He was really good at that. Uh, then another group identified as following Peter. They wanted Peter to be their leader. And, and Peter was obviously you know, a gifted, qualified person to do that. He was one of the 12 apostles. He was an eyewitness to Jesus's ministry. He spoke at Pentecost, as we see recorded in Acts chapter two. Peter was a leader. Peter was outspoken. Peter was willing to take action, right? He was willing to get things done. And so you know, he was probably had these group of people following him. They were like, yeah, let's go, right? And then there was this other group of people that claimed to just follow Jesus. And on the surface, we look at that and go, well, that's probably the right approach, right? That's the correct attitude. But but what we see is that this group considered themselves to be spiritually superior because they were only following Jesus. They were only going to listen to what he had to say, right? They were only, if God doesn't tell us directly, then we're just not gonna do it. They claim to be able to hear from God and from God alone, and that's what they were gonna do. And so this divided the church. And in these four groups, between them, they kind of were divided in two basic ways. Paul points this out in verse 10. He says that they were divided in mind and thought. Another way to say this is they were divided in their understanding and conviction. They were no longer unified in the core beliefs of their faith. They had these different ideas of what they should believe. Second, they were divided into what we're just going to call schisms. Uh, We would maybe call them, like in schools, we'd call them cliques or different groups. What these groups were doing was they were closing ranks. They were bolstering their position. They were looking for ways to gain power and influence and gain control so that they could have their way. And that's the situation that was facing the church at Corinth after Paul had left. And the sad truth is, churches still do that today, don't they? I mean, they just do, and it's not a, not a good thing, but they do. Now, I'm excited to say that I don't know of any such divisions that exist here at PCC, right? Um, we don't have people claiming to follow me because I'm the senior pastor. Others follow Roberto because he's you know, cool and does all the cool, fun stuff, right? Other people you know, follow Morgan and what she's focused on in the, in the uh, discipleship classes because they just read the Bible, right? And they're just following it and doing the teachings and different things. And we, we don't have another group that says, yeah, you guys do what you want. We're just gonna lock ourselves in our prayer room and we're just gonna pray and we're gonna let God talk to us and we're gonna be the spiritual ones of the church, right? Can you imagine if that were the case? Can you imagine the chaos? Can you imagine the division? Can you imagine how things would not be getting done? That's the situation that was facing the church in Corinth. The reality here is that myself, along with uh, Roberto and Morgan, the prayer team, the leadership team, staff, ministry leaders, small group leaders, we understand this one very important fact. What we do is not about us. 
It's about Jesus. He is our focus. He is what we are all about. Amen? That's where I miss Roberto, because he's usually giving me that feedback, right? So you guys, you know, fill in for him today, all right? And what Paul is trying to say is that this is the way it's supposed to be. Elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, verses four through eight, Paul refers to the believers as a body and how they all have a different function and a different role to accomplish the same thing. And that's what we're striving to do here at PCC, to help people discover and experience the life-changing love of small groups. No, right? Of women's ministry. No, discipleship classes, prayer, no. Those things are great, right? but we wanna help people discover and experience the life-changing love of Jesus. He's the focus, he's the most important thing. And all of the avenues that that we do, all of the things that we do are pointing us back toward Jesus and the life-changing love that he offers to us. We are united and unified under that purpose. And here's the beauty of that. Working and serving and striving together doesn't mean we have to think exactly the same thing and we all need to be just alike. As one writer said, the perfect community of God is not one in which everyone thinks identical thoughts, but one in which we can deal with the richness that comes from having diverse individual characteristics in one community in a positive, not negative way. We need diversity of thought in order for the community as a whole to hold in tension what none of us can encompass as individuals. One of the things that makes this community of believers unique and and I believe very special is our diversity and how that helps us hold these things in tension. Later in, in this letter, Paul talks about how there must be diversity in a church in order for it to be healthy. And it's a reminder that diversity does not have to equal divisiveness. As believers, we are united under Christ, under what God did through us, for us through the love and the gift and the sacrifice of Jesus. It's Jesus that brings us together. The, the, the church, the capital C church, and I would say this particular church, the small C church, is an amazing place every time we gather together because when we do, we end up with people in a room that really, if it weren't for Jesus, would have no other reason to be in the same room together right? I mean, it's just amazing to me how that happens, how we're gathered because of Jesus, because of his grace and his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. And that's a very, very beautiful thing. Because of Jesus, we are a diverse, beautiful, loved, unique gathering of forgiven sinners who are united in Christ. And I, for one, am honored to be a part of such a group, and I hope you are as well. The third theme we find here in chapter one is this. Paul talks about the wisdom and the power that we have in Christ. There has been so much written about this particular section of scripture uh, that we could easily invest a month or more on on all the different things that could be understood and applied. But I wanna try to seek to encapsulate that for our time here this morning. Either that or we'll just read the whole book, right? Either way, you wanna do that. And we're gonna take just a minute and let's, let's look at what this means. And to do this, we really have to take a step back and see the person who wrote the letter. We have to look at Paul. Paul was a well-educated man. Paul had been brought up in the Jewish learning. He was an excellent study. 
Uh, he says this in Philippians chapter three, verses five through six. He says, he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Paul is giving his credentials as to why he can say the things that he says. It's believed that Paul was instructed by Gamaliel, who was the Pharisee of the Jewish law. Everything we know about Paul points to the fact that he could speak with authority and he could command attention on the topics in which he was addressing. He was a gifted speaker. He reasoned with the leaders in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Berea, in Athens. And as a result, the text tells us in those times that people People wanted to hear more of what he had to say. And in all of his education and his philosophy and his oratory skills, all the things, according to Paul, it was all rubbish. It was worthless compared to the plain preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. He said that that contains more wisdom and more power than all of those other accolades combined. Paul was pointing us toward the power and the wisdom that's contained in Jesus He's, his point is to show that human wisdom and understanding will always fall short in an attempt to retain the knowledge and the wisdom of God. In verse 20, Paul says that the scholars are fools versus the wisdom of God. In verse 21, in their wisdom they miss God, yet they can still be saved through faith. Verse 22, the Jews wanted miracles, the Greeks wanted wisdom. They were looking for these spiritual and intellectual information, but in all of their selfish searching, they missed that the foolishness of God was wiser than human wisdom and that the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God chooses to use the things that the world would consider foolish to show his wisdom. And he reveals the weak things of the world to demonstrate his power. And in so doing, uh, we know that we can't boast about ourselves it is so that we can see clearly that, that what we need to do is, is have a righteousness and a redemption and a holiness that's not through our own making, but it's through Jesus. Not through the law, not through our own efforts, not because we can always get things right, but because of Jesus. That is the power and that is the wisdom of Christ. That is the message of the power and the wisdom that is found in the cross, and when we live our lives in his wisdom and power, we can have a different life indeed. And you can go in and you can take uh, those verses of scripture uh, from 18 to 31, and you, you can look at all the different things that Paul is trying to say. But when you boil it down, he's simply trying to say, look, what we think and the way we think and how we think is nothing compared to the wisdom and the glory of God. Matthew Henry said it this way in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, Jesus is made wisdom to us that by his word and spirit and from his fullness and treasures of wisdom and knowledge, we may receive all that will make us wise unto salvation and fit for every service to which we have been called. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that is a challenge for us to not boast about ourselves, but to boast in the Lord, to, to realize that it's only because of Jesus, to realize that, that what we are and what we do is all a product of whose we are. Paul beautifully begins this letter with this clear focus on the cross of Jesus. And in doing so, he reminds us of whose we are. He calls us to unity. He reminds us that we are to find God in Jesus. And then in doing so, it's simple. 
because the cross of Jesus is simple and he took the simple things to shame the complex. That the message is simple. And when we discover and experience Jesus, we encounter God, we receive his power, we discover his wisdom, and we experience his life-changing love in our life. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth to let them know whose they are. And we can be reminded as well of whose we are. We belong to Jesus. We are his children, and he loves us so very much. Let's, let's pray together this morning. God, I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote. I thank you.